News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel in Brooklyn here with Professor Christina Greer back in Brooklyn. Hello. Welcome. Hello, Harry Siegel. Hey, it's Wednesday night. The Knicks are 12 minutes away from getting eliminated from the playoffs. By the time you hear this, it'll already be too late, I figure. And the Democratic contestants have just finished their second two-hour-long debate. First half on ABC, the second half hidden on weirdo channels and just the internet. Boo, ABC. We spoke earlier today with the great Katie Honan of the Wall Street Journal's Greater New York. And we'll have that conversation for you in a bit. But first, uh, Chrissy, this was... Another pivotal moment in the mayor's race, the Times says. We're less than three weeks out. Did anything pivot tonight? What happened? Um, You know, Harry, I think one or two things may have shifted. I don't think things shifted for Donovan or McGuire. I think the true believers will stick with Diane. You know, for Garcia, I just think this is another night where she mentions the New York Times one time. I don't see her, there's no offense. (laughs) She's the New York Knicks. Um, (laughs) I think that Maya, Eric, and Andrew kind of remained the chatty Cathy's and those that we talk about afterwards. I think Scott Stringer did push his way into that tier in that conversation. So it's kind of a mixed bag. I think for some, it changed. I I definitely think for Scott Stringer, it, it it turned a corner. But I think for Diane and Catherine... There were times that they could have or should have been the leaders in particular discussions, and they just weren't. We were talking right before we started recording. Uh, Maya Wiley was very aggressive, especially in the first half of the debate. She was uh, uh, jumping over the the moderator and the time limits and other candidates. Uh, She actually got hit very early on by by Scott Stringer on her time on the Civilian Complaint Review Board. He said she was a a servant of the PBA or something very close Mm -hmm. to that. How, I, I, you know, Harry, I think it's it's interesting, right? Because there's some racial and gender dynamics that go into the performance of a debate. Yep. So we know that women are expected to perform a particular way. So you don't want to be quiet like a church mouse, Catherine Garcia. But women do get penalized for being aggressive or on the offense um, or, you know, inserting themselves in conversations the way we see men do it in debates all the time. But I thought that this particular debate, this, the first hour especially, for my, my viewing pleasure, was a bit OTT, over the top. Just because, you know, and someone said this on social media, if Errol Lewis had been the moderator, he would have hit that mute button like minute two. You know, I mean, when I've moderated, I've told folks, it's like, listen, I will just mute you and we'll just keep it pushing. So... I did feel like, and I I get it, she, I'm sure her pollsters have told her, there are a lot of New Yorkers who are literally tuning in for the first time ever to think about the race on June 22nd. This may be the first time that they've looked at all eight candidates. So she needed to make herself known. She needed to get her point across. But for my taste, it was a bit too much. And I'm curious, I am really curious for viewers, especially people who are just now paying attention to the debates and just now paying attention to the race. Some people like that in a candidate. They like the fact that it's like, you know what? If you have ideas, fight for them. 
unlike Catherine Garcia and Diane Morales, where much of the debate, and, and Ray McGuire to a certain extent, we forgot that they were there. Or is it, this is an exchange of ideas, so it should be a give and take. And I think Maya's directive was, it's not called an exchange. It's called a debate. So I'm actually going to get in where I fit in. And if you're going to keep letting me talk and keep saying, excuse me, excuse me, I'm just going to keep going because this may be my only time to communicate with certain New Yorkers that I, I can't get to as a candidate. Scott Spitz, Scott Stringer. <laughs> Scott Spitz, <laughs> scandal. <laughs> Double scandal. Scott Stringer, liberated perhaps by, by losing his progressive endorsers and trying to also show himself as, as, as an elder here, but he, he seemed like he was liberated to take a bunch mm-hmm. of clean shots on a number of other candidates the mm-hmm. whole time. But to me, things really got spicy near the end when the uh, candidates got to ask each other questions, which were a lot tougher than the moderators, which allowed yeah. for follow-ups. And then the high point there, I thought, was the exchange between Eric Adams, who initiated it, and Andrew Yang, who counterpunched hard. Now, I know you have no love for Yang. I don't think he has any business being mayor. But just as a performance thing, and with people tuning in for the first time, I do think Yang, Yang has a real talent for debate performances, for timing out 60 seconds, uh, for staying above the fray when he wants to, for purposely landing punches, and for appearing or sounding like a, a reasonable guy when other people are getting stuck in the weeds or whatever else. So a lot of the attention was focused on Adams. Uh, you have the sense that he, he, he is who people, the other candidates perceive as the front runner in this race with, with limited polling. But the two of them going back and forth hard with Adams saying, you don't vote here. You right. left the city in the midst of this. You're a coward, in effect. And Yang replying, you're corrupt. Nobody on this stage wants you to be mayor. That was a, a very intense exchange. In fact, there's sirens. They're coming, right. I believe, for one of them right now. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm going to talk about Stringer and then go to Eric and, and Andrew. So you started with Stringer. I think Stringer knows how to, like, it's not even land a punch. Stringer's jabs feel like a shiv. They don't feel like a punch. Like, Eric and Andrew feel like punching. Scott feels like, ooh, did he just like, <laughs> did he just shank me? And it's like, yes, yes, he did. And he's going to turn around and shank someone else. Like, yep. And I think the liberating, you said it's, it's almost like a liberating feeling. I think last debate, remember, he's fresh off of these accusations and allegations. He seemed a little tentative. He was asleep the first hour and everyone's like, hey, guy, you know, you're going to join us or what? He sort of perked up that last hour. And I think we're looking at a candidate who's like, time is of the essence. This isn't my first time at the rodeo. If I'm going to make my presence known, I have to do it. And if they come back at me and want to talk about allegations, fine. I'm sure he's prepared to to answer or deflect. But I think we saw a candidate who was like, I don't have anything to lose. Like, I think I'm qualified. I've been in elected office. So I'm just going to go out and start shipping folks. And he did. And I thought he was pretty effective in some of the some of the jabs that he got. As far as Eric and Andrew, listen, I feel like Andrew Yang, he does that like Willy Wonka rope-a-dope, right? He'll let you sort of like beat up on him. And then he's like, hey, thanks so much, Harry. Um, That's awesome. And then he'll sort of kind of answer it, you know, but it's like in that sort of saccharine sweet way of like, isn't this all just great and like sweetness and light? But I mean, he knows how to take a punch, you know? 
And I think a mayor of New York should know how to do that. Do I think that he's qualified? Absolutely not. Do I think that he understands New York? Absolutely not. Do I think he understands any policies? Absolutely not. Do I think that he will leave destruction in his wake because he'll just come up either with, you know, half-baked plans or have quasi-Republicans running Gracie Mansion and City Hall? Absolutely. So That I mean, was his closing pitch, except for that very last part. It's like everyone who knows everything about New York, well, let me point out, New York sort of sucks right now. There's right. too much crime. We don't have enough money. The schools aren't great. So why not bring in someone who's had nothing to do right. with any of this, right. which is a crazy Crazy pitch. It is similar to what Bloomberg offered in certain ways. You know, I'm I'm an outsider. I'm too rich to bribe. And and Giuliani to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, it's it's latent republicanism that he traffics in on a whole host of levels. I mean, listen, don't even get me started with, like, um, Ray McGuire, you're tall, and my kids aren't sporty, but I wish they were. Like, you know, I hear all of his racially coded nonsense. I hear all of it. You could say it's a joke if you want to, but it's not. Not if you keep doing it. You know what you're doing, or you're just an idiot. You under, don't understand racial politics at all, and you don't understand that you're a man of color. Like, that to me is unforgivable on a host of levels, and I've already had my several rants. So, the Adams-Yang exchange I thought was interesting, because then Yang slips in there. It's like, well, you know, you don't have to say this because you're a black. And Adams was like, I didn't say it because I was black. He was like, I was talking about sort of people of color in general. So, I thought that was an interesting exchange that didn't really get to the heart of Andrew Yang, you traffic in racial stereotypes. You kind of play footsie with white supremacists. You play footsie with being a man of color when you feel like it. So, like, I, I'm i so curious <laughs> as to what Yang supporters hear when they hear him on that stage. Like, so, and and not even Yang supporters, just people who don't understand, like, when you tell a debate stage that a black man is really tall. Like you're literally just like, wow, you're basically this big ball black man. It's like, well, he said it before. And it's like, he said it. You don't have to say it. Like we know what, because I know what you're saying when you say it. <laughs> like, so I think that that's his, his positioning is, is interesting, I guess, but uh, I'm Adam's so. Defense, Adam's defense went, went when Yang's hidden and it was, Sometimes these standards are different and the scrutiny is different for people of color. And he doesn't specifically right. say black men. Um, well, but ask after John de Blasio, like, After de Blasio, like it, John it's Lou an interesting— knows that these, these critiques are different. It, it's an interesting defense to be like, I haven't been convicted and that's fine. He has been investigated. I think there are good reasons he actually hasn't been convicted. But, but it, was a, it was a remarkable no more coding exchange. And with John Lou, by the way, it's notable as Andrew Yang has sort of— uh, racialized himself in very different ways than he did in the presidential race mm-hmm. and tried to center himself in this narrative about anti-Asian violence here. Right. The John Liu, who I think was actually knocked out in 2013 because of a form of racism by the campaign finance yes! board. In which yes, yes, and more yes. Like, he, I mean, yeah. I would Just give to- my left arm to have John Liu in this race running for mayor right now. Because A, like, I think that he would add so much more to the discussion. You know, he knows how I feel about his support of Andrew Yang. I understand the politics behind the politics of that support, whatever. But I think that John Liu as a candidate, to me, would have been so much more substantive and interesting. But also, let's be clear, when Andrew Yang was running for the presidency, he's trying to cozy up to like quasi-conservative white people in Iowa and New Hampshire. So no, he's not going to highlight 
Asian, anti-Asian sentiments, which were occurring <laughs> during, he, but you know what? That's when he chose to write an op-ed in the Washington Post to tell Asian people to be more American and wear red, white, and blue and speak English and make white people like them. So that was, that was his strategy as an Asian American man. <laughs> now he's running for New York mayor and he's code switching. Yeah. In, in a big well, way. Well, I don't even think it's code switching. I just think that the vessel was, something else was poured into said empty vessel. <laughs> I can't wait for June 22nd and subsequent days. It's three weeks. And also, P.S., please explain to me. He's like, everyone knows I've been, you know, how my companies have been successful. I'm like, what are your companies? I still don't understand. It's like some test prep for grad school, but like no one actually had ever heard of you or these successful companies. So like, stop saying that we all know what you did because we don't. Chrissy, he brought up a Vox article when there were questions about whether he was successful in the 100,000 jobs he said he was going to create. He created <laughs> by the best, most generous count, 4,000, right? So the Vox article that, that he brings up, right? And, and you, you know how this works. Yes. He just, just, yes. no, no one's going to actually check and read it, so he's saying it. Headline, right? Andrew Yang is promising to revitalize America. His nonprofit tried to, but couldn't. And that, that's what he's alluding to and saying, just check the clips. I, I, I've done the things I've said. It's like, well, no, if you check the clips, you, you emphatically have not. But it's a shorthand. <laughs> and he, he thinks he's the, you know, the cheerful guy who stands out from the crowd, has some commonsensical ideas, isn't going to get caught up in the weeds, and this is going to appeal to enough New Yorkers. We're going to see. I'm, I'm worried about it. We have very little reliable polling, very right. little time left, and a, a decent chance we won't know who the winner is for weeks. Which right. is, I think the only race that we might know is the Manhattan DA's race, right? Um, because that's not ranked choice voting. And no um, runoff, just just whoever gets yeah, the most votes wins. Hey, listen, if 12 people show up, <laughs> thank your mom. Um, and I, I, I've heard that that ballot will be on a different piece of paper as well. So when it goes through the Scantron, it'll be calculated differently. Hopefully, I don't know the mechanics of that. Hopefully, someone from the board of elections can get us some results right hopefully and um just for listeners for listeners out there um election night as always we will have ben max um from gotham gazette joining us to talk about results not results (laughs) what we know and don't know Ooh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great podcast in that uh classic rain delay mode where we're (laughs) gonna be talking about the thing that's just happened but we don't know what it means just yet right Right. But we do know that you know, we're inching closer to the 110th mayor of New York City. I think that there are ways that we can talk about crime and the economy without it turning into this kind of Republican mandate by certain candidates who use kind of, you know, dog whistle politics to scare people into voting for them. We're going to see, you know, right now, at least two of the three leading candidates in Yang and Adams are... Um whistling away. Mm-hmm. But I'm fascinated though, Harry, because people who like Yang and people who like Adams tend to really like them. And then people who don't like Yang tend to really not like him. So he's either a hell yes or a hell no. And Adams, I think, has a little bit more wiggle room because he's been an elected official before. But I, I'm curious with this one, two, three, four, five, how people will choose either, you know, most of us have been voting without ranked choice voting for the vast majority of our lives. So people are still going to vote strategically in some instances. People might still just vote for one person. 
this idea of shifting the culture of how we think about candidates and elections is a massive culture shift with very little education. And even Ray McGuire made a mistake tonight and said, vote me, you know, vote for me, number one. And, like, or and, number, and, and number two, right? Not or number two, and number two. And it's like, no, that's an invalid ballot, sir. Like, Errol Lewis has been saying that, you know, at the end of his Inside City Hall for weeks now, just making sure people don't think that they're doing something great for their candidate and voting for their candidate one through five. So this is not how it's played out in other cities, but I do know that one of Eric Adams' concerns and one of the reasons he had surrogates challenging the ranked choice system in court and all that is that uh, prime black voters, older people who have long habits of voting, who show up and participate regularly but have always done it one way, aren't going to adjust to this new system. And so if he does decently among that group, He's worried that there are people who aren't going to get around to putting down a number two or a number three when that might have been him and that that could be damaging. Mm -hmm. And uh, Yang tonight pressed him because Adams had been coy about this. uh, You know, are you going to accept if you lose in this ranked choice system? And Adams said, yes, of course I am. Uh, We're going to find out. Well, I mean, hey, listen, I mean, that could be both and, right? Yes, he can accept it. Yes, he can also choose to run on a third-party line if someone else presents that option for him. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. Like, if he doesn't win, you know, sort of from the June 22nd race. Like, yes, he can accept that result, but if someone says, you know, by city charter, we can create something quick, fast, he might also exercise that option. It's going to be interesting to find out, looking ahead, less than three weeks now. But before we do that, let's go back in time about six hours to our conversation with Katie Honan. Let's jump right in. Today, we have Katie Honan, city reporter from The Wall Street Journal, who's going to help us talk about and sift through all things mayoral candidates, city council, New York City, five boroughs. I'm I'm just at a loss for words. Welcome, Katie. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Queens represent, represent. Um... Okay, let's start with the mayor's race. We have a debate uh, June 2nd. We've got eight candidates who will be in attendance in person. ABC sponsoring the debate. First hour on the television. Second hour, figure out your internet connection and switch over to streaming. What are you looking forward to sort of sifting through and hearing from the candidates in the next, say, two weeks before they have to cross the finish line on June 22nd? So let's take it from the top. Um, let's start with Sean Donovan, since we never really start with Sean Donovan. Yeah, I think Sean, the New York Times wrote a story, Jeff Means from the Times wrote a great story that shows that Sean Donovan is a very competent candidate. He has a lot of money, but he just has not picked up steam and attention in the race. I think someone was quoted as saying he's the right candidate at the wrong time. So I think tonight, Mm. or, you know, uh, during the debate, it's all about trying to distinguish himself amongst these candidates. And, you know, he has a lot of policy ideas and he has a lot of experience, but he just has not picked up that energy that I I think he probably expected to get given his credentials and his resume. So that's something that I'm hoping that he he does. I know the last debate, which again, a debate over Zoom is so weird mm-hmm. compared to one in person, but, you know, he was his dad's finances and how much money his dad has given to the super PAC and all that kind of stuff came up. But I didn't really hear much from Sean on actually what he would do as mayor. So I think that is something that he should definitely work on showing. Now, here's a question I have for you. And shout out to Jeff Mays, who's uh, a guest on FAQ NYC. With Sean Donovan and daddy's money, as I like to call it, 
Is it going to be a case where people see his TV ads, though, in the next two weeks and say, oh, he he seems legit. I mean, and let's also keep it real. He's a white man of a certain age. And so that gives him a certain level of credibility and familiarity in an electoral space. Do you think that that will help him or at least make him a viable option? Because he's kind of a non-starter right now, especially from his, his last big debate performance. I mean, the ads haven't helped yet. And he, he was one of the first people to have ads on that I saw. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... Him and Ray McGuire both had ads on long before anybody else, and it didn't really seem to help either of them. And of course, these polls, they're very, they're scant. We don't see much of them. We don't have the big pollsters coming in with stuff. So we've had very random polling. And of course, I I take all polls with a grain of salt, but it hasn't worked for them yet. Uh, They have a lot of money. And yeah, I, I don't know what could happen to distinguish Sean between now and early voting and then June 22nd amongst among voters for just someone who they actually might want to rank high up on their ballot. Mm-hmm. What kind of voter is, is interested in Sean Donovan? You know, I think who he's appealed to, even though he is, you know, he, he grew up on the Upper East Side with wealth, went to Dalton, has had that kind of pedigree. I think he's also worked to make inroads into, you know, Southeast Queens and other kind of large voting blocks, which are more or predominantly black communities. But yeah, I, you know, I, I've asked a bunch of people of voters of who they look for. And when, it, when it's someone who says they like Sean Donovan, I haven't been able to peg on who that person is. You know, who I are you? Yeah, I can't build like a psychological profile. But yeah, I also just think there's so many candidates, everyone I've spoken to who's just, a you know, a normal New Yorker, right? Someone who's trying to survive and, you know, of all different kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds. It's just they get confused. There's so many people and I don't blame mm-hmm. them. I have to keep a list by my computer of who's running, like, because I think who, okay, I'm up to seven. Oh, I forgot about this person. And it's, just, right. and I do this professionally. So I, I can't imagine right. it's like for the regular voter. Mm-hmm. So Sean Donovan and Ray McGuire are in some ways really impressive credentialed people. And one of my high points in this race, watching them remaining at the bottom, going up on TV early, trying to break through, is that Ray McGuire hates Sean Donovan. Sean Donovan tries to poke it at Ray McGuire and be like, what did you do with mortgages? Because he's been a city for a million years and made a few million dollars in the course of that. Not enough to fund his own campaign, clearly, but a lot. But then Ray McGuire, who otherwise... It's his first time running. Sean Donovan's first time running. It's a lot of these people's first time running, right? Yeah. Uh, he doesn't go off. Ray goes off on Sean. And it's like the only time he flashes personality. And it, it's actually sort of great. He likes to call him Sean Obama. Yeah. That was funny. The first time he said that, I think it was at the Brooklyn Dems debate. or That was like the first debate that Errol Lewis uh, hosted. And that, I actually did laugh out loud when I heard him call him Sean Obama. Because that's, <laughs> you know, he... He worked for the Obama administration. He worked for the Bloomberg administration here in the city, which he's sort of tried to distance himself from, which I know, spoken to many former Bloomberg people, they do not enjoy that. <laughs> They're very proud people, the people who work for Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. So to have someone sort of publicly distance himself from that administration, uh, I, I probably wouldn't like it either. But yeah, the two of them fighting, it is fascinating to see because I think for a lot of voters, I might say, oh, these these are two wealthy people just bickering at each other. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels that way at times. And so shifting from Donovan to McGuire, what could McGuire do? I mean, we look at the money that he has spent and it's like consultants, 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 and money does not necessarily equal success. I mean, 
Obviously, it's not June 22nd. However, he has not been able to get the traction that he has. And the feedback that I've gotten oftentimes is they wish they would see the Ray McGuire who showed up on FAQ NYC, who was a real person, who had a personality and could wrap that in policy. But he's just not necessarily making traction. He's got some endorsements from important, say, powerful Black electeds. But it doesn't really seem to be translating, especially since he's had ads, as you said. He's had ads up for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, he's doing better in, in the few polls than Sean Donovan, but it's the same thing. He has a ton of money. He's not taking part in the matching funds. He has, you know, lots of people giving him lots of big money in his pack. I think, you know, Greg Meek's endorsement is big, but I also think that sort of Queen's Machine party is not what it used to be in terms mm-hmm. of, it's not a unifier. And again, I, I've had a conversation with him where he certainly is less stiff than he is on TV, but it's also really difficult. You know, you're on, again, the Zoom debate, you're on with, Maya Wiley, who appears on MSNBC previous, you know, before running all the time. Andrew Yang, who had a CNN, you know, contract. He was on TV all the time doing public speaking events as part of his income. Um, and people who just have a lot more experience playing the role of a politician, right? Mm-hmm. It sounds, I don't mean to diminish the job or campaigning, but part of it is a little bit like acting, right? You have to kind of put on how you want to be and at the same time, be authentic? And how am I going to, in the short amount of time, speak intelligently, but clearly and, and with a little bit of charisma that I think it can be difficult. You know, I, I feel the same way about Catherine Garcia, who now has done much better in the polls. That was my she, next question. Yeah, Someone who she, does not have the razzle-dazzle. Yeah. But go ahead. She, yes. So Catherine has a lot of experience, but, you know, she's admitted this in other reporting. She's just not used to this sort of public appearance and she's always been kind of behind the scenes person and it can be very difficult to suddenly be dynamic on television when in reality you're just sitting in your whatever office home office living room in sean donovan's case it was a very nice kitchen that kitchen <laughs> I, know, uh, I was like wow that's a nice let me kitchen. just live in the Granite? kitchen i don't even need to see the rest yeah, of wow. it um but no, yeah, here's so a, you, but But Katie, here's a question, because I think that there are some gender components to, say, a Garcia not having sort of, I would say, let's just for shortcut, a personality, right, versus a McGuire and Donovan. I'd put the three of them in the same bucket. But then I would also argue that there's the campaigning phase and the governance phase. But when you're mayor of New York City and you're interacting with not only other mayors and governors, but heads of state from other countries— do we not want someone who has somewhat of a personality? Like, I don't think I want just a technocrat who's like, I'm in the library. I can't talk now. Sorry, you know, insert prime minister. Like, I don't want to meet. Or when you do meet, you're not giving them any energy or a reason to either want to invest in the city or stay in the city. I mean, I think that personality actually is a trait that should be a factor. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think if we were in a lab building, you know, like Frankenstein, building the perfect mayor, you would take a little bit of a lot of candidates, right, for a voter's ideal candidate. The percentages, of course, differ on who's voting or who's in the lab, right, to use a very um, drawn out metaphor. But, (laughs) you know, just building this ideal mayor. And is it a little bit like, does everyone want to be like an Ed Koch you know, no. uh, at the foot of the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> I'm going to say no. <laughs> yeah, glad-handing. Or even, you know, Mike Bloomberg, someone who, again, did not have that political experience and, and was more of a business person. I don't think he, I think he could be very blunt from what, what you hear and maybe didn't have that, again, charisma when it come, came to uh, some of the things. So, yeah, I think with all of the candidates, they might excel at some things. You know, someone like Andrew Yang, who has... 
I've seen him have a ton of personality. I've also seen him be very reserved and uh, in a big crowd, seem almost nervous around people, which seems to be the opposite of who he kind of portrays himself to be. But, you know, yeah. Well, that's what's so interesting about the new Andrew Yang, who's now the defensive Andrew Yang. It's like, this is a new iteration of the robot we haven't seen before, because this one is a little less attractive. That's a little short-tempered and agitated. Yeah, I I was thinking the same thing, you know, watching the footage from yesterday from his uh, campaign office opening in Bensonhurst, it did not seem natural for him to attack Eric Adams. But then at the same time, it didn't seem natural for him to be in a huge crowd of people clamoring for photos. You know, I interviewed him a few weeks ago and, and there were certainly people coming up to him and it didn't even seem that natural. And he, it could have been a million factors. He could have had a headache. He could have been hungry. He could have been whatever. But it is... This is probably campaigning unlike he's ever done. You know, again, as, as he's talked about all openly and, and, and it's pretty obvious, when he ran for president, he did not have much opposition and he did not have people attacking him. And now this is a whole other ballgame. And when I interviewed him for a story I wrote, I he said that that is a part of campaigning that he's not used to and, and that he kind of didn't like about in New York. That, oh, you know, it runs off of oppo and, you know, one candidate... <laughs> leaks to another candidate. And I I pushed back on that. I said, you know, you more so than any other candidate have a larger social media network. You have a podcast, you have like fans in the Yang gang who follow you around and live stream everything you write and then go after reporters for reporting what you say. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's sort of his own built-in media network, right? Like it's it's like if Ted Turner ran, right? You don't need, you can't get mad at reporters. um, For asking you to follow up for the musings that you say. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and that's like, just the way it is. I mean, I'm sure the Yang campaign has sent Oppo out as well. I, I know for a fact they have. So it's just the way it works. We, I, maybe we have sharper elbows here, and it's just a completely different race. But yeah, it's it's. I think going into now, we're in the home stretch. And Harry, I know, to to borrow your metaphor of the real world, you know, where people stop being polite and start getting real. I think we're at the season. We're at the point of the season where there's fights in the house. Someone's mm-hmm. gonna have a blow up. There's going to have to be, you know, who knows what will happen. So I feel if we're looking at it as reality uh, seasons, we're almost at the point of the housewives where they go on a trip and they all get drunk and get into a fight. You know, that <laughs> is what we need. What we need is for the producers to start feeding everyone alcohol <laughs> at the start of this debate. Yeah. And Maybe then tonight, watch yeah. what happens. Well, I mean, listen, I do know that the the drinking game bingo, whenever, whenever Sean Donovan says Obama, I mean, I get like 16,000 texts where it's like, drink! It's Black like everyone has me. to drink when he says, and I can't because I usually have to do something politically related. And I was like, if I drank every time he said Obama, I would be crawling to my laptops. So <laughs> we can't do that. Okay, so we've gotten Donovan McGuire, Garcia and Yang. Let's move over to our good friend, Scott Stringer. Yeah. Do you think that he can rise from the ashes that have befallen him in the past month or so? You know, I don't even think it's ashes at this point. You know, I think clearly, you know, the allegations were serious allegations, but I think it hasn't ended him in a way that maybe some people expected. You know, I didn't know what to expect. You go to the press conference for Jean Kim and she talks about what she went through and, you know, you report it out, but he has not sort of fallen in the way that, Mm-hmm. Maybe Other some politicians would yeah. have, could have. And I think because no one else has come forward yet at this point, I don't know if anyone else will. And yeah, I think once we learn more about the allegations, the story sort of changed a bit, you know, mm-hmm. went from when it was just her, it was, oh, I, I was an in, I was a young intern from Ohio on the Stringer campaign. And then we learned more and it was, well, you, you had been friends. And, you know, obviously the, her allegations, if they are true, that doesn't 
anyone's prior relationship does not excuse any kind of bad behavior, but it changed. And I, you know, when I've spoken, I spoke to a voter this weekend who said, maybe I'll rank him second. You know, she Mm -hmm. said, I kind of still like him. I, I like what he wants to do. And I also think he's found a lane, not the most progressive lane, which was occupied by Diane Morales, who we could talk about. But today, you know, he released a whole ad on pointing out that it's big Wall Street billionaires giving money to Eric Adams and Andrew Yang. And, you know, City Hall is not for sale and that kind of thing. And, and how mm-hmm. he, you know, there are PACs for Scott, but not the same type of PACs. There's that well, weird child. Speak, speaking of PACs, yeah, you've got, yeah. You've got the, the kids' ads, the, that's effectively the teachers' union, right? Yes. And they've stuck with him. They mm-hmm. danced with them that brung them. They thought about pulling the ads, I know, but they did not, right? You, uh, you've got Jerry Nadler, and then you've got, like, uh, Jamal Bowman, who's part of this wave of new lawmakers in Albany and in Washington in 2018 and 2020, yeah. right? Who Scott stood behind and then, then sort of collected their chits, and they said, actually, we're walking away after this one accusation from Gene Kim. If I recall, it came out on a Wednesday. By Friday, everyone yeah. was gone. So – I'm starting to wonder if, if maybe this is uh, – we'll, we'll see what happens with Scott. And maybe he's not Ashes, but he's going to make uh, Maya Wiley. we got to talk about Ashes because he's, he's blocking her from rise and he can't quite get there. But I'm wondering about the the left and about uh, Alessandro Biagi, um, like all these other people who walked away from him. And that doesn't seem to have made so much of a difference. At the same time, uh, you know, the DSAs avoided this race. AOC has yet to endorse. She backed Brad Lander for a controller and mm-hmm. in the extremely limited polling there. He's roughly 27th. Uh, there'd been this narrative of a rising left. We'll see what happens with the counseling with this race, but it seems like this might sort of signal a, a recession from a high watermark for their influence on a citywide election and with broader turnout yeah. than they'd seem to have up till this point. Well, I think it was... It wasn't citywide, and we hadn't had that test of a citywide left resurgence. Mm-hmm. And I think there are some seats in the council, you know, like Tiffany Caban and Astoria. Again, I mean, she's and a front runner there. Caban, when she ran for DA, was the closest they came to to a larger test, and she exactly. fell just short. Yeah, and that Melinda was Melinda Katz is now dreading uh, uh, Curtis Slewa, uh running running for for mayor. My goodness, Poor in that regard, uh, yeah. So. Um, yes, politics, the, the personal politics. I don't, anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, so we might have a city council, right, where we have some new left people like a Tiffany Caban or I think in other districts across the city, far left, Crystal Hudson in Brooklyn, Felicia Singh in South Queens. But then you also might have, you know, Jim Gennaro, who previously was in the council, Gail Brewer back, who's, you know, more moderate, Tony Avella. I drove by a Tony Avella sign this weekend. Uh, you know, so you have this weird mix of, New relatives, you know, inexperienced just because they've never held elected office before in the council with people who can really tell you what happened in like the 90s and early 2000s because they were in the council at the time. You know, and I think when it comes to term limits, I was thinking like, did term limits get the desired effect if all these people, Charles Barron, Tony Vela, Jim Gennaro, you know, are running again for seats that they held years ago? So, Gail Brewer. Yeah, Gail Brewer. I saw someone sent me, a friend on the Upper West Side sent me a photo of Gail campaigning. And the sign says, Gail Brewer is running for city council again, which I thought, (laughs) which is probably what people say, like, again? 
So yeah. she embraced it. Two thirds I mean, of the council is going to be new, right? Yeah. So it's going to be a ton of turnover, and then there's going to be a really interesting race for council speaker right. that a bunch of people are already positioning themselves for. And if they want a four year one or an eight year one because of term limits, we and, run again and, in two years too because of redistricting to make it even more confusing right. and expensive. Oh, even more confusing. Right. But hold on, before we get to but the yes. council, because that's super fascinating, I want to wrap up these mayoral. Candidates. Right. Sorry. Um, <laughs> We know the rapture's coming when Chrissy Greer is the one that's keeping people on track. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we've gotten Scott. Scott's not fully out. I think we all we all have to remember, you know, when you've been a public servant for several decades, like people don't abandon you as quickly as as maybe your opponents would hope and wish. Yeah. Um, so then let's move to Maya Wiley. So her ads, she's taking on the NYPD. Identity, blackness, mom, civil rights lawyer, that seems to be the the sort of tripart messaging. You think that's sticking? And also this idea that New York could have its first female mayor, you know, like Chicago, um, who's had two and other major cities, you know, Baltimore, Atlanta, yeah. Boston now. Um, do you think that that's resonating with voters or is it just kind of an MSNBC bump that will fade? Yeah, I mean, I think... With the sort of fall of Diane Morales, she's picking up more of the far left voters. And I was out with her weeks ago in outside Borough Hall and, you know, older black voters saying, oh, I like Eric Adams, but I like you too. So these are two people who are kind of, you might think are more opposite on the ideological spectrum, but for voters, they they appeal to them. You know, maybe you just know Eric and you like Maya as well. So I think she's benefiting a bit from this implosion of the Diane Morales campaign and, and the ads, you know, the first ad was like a, this is who I am at, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my father, I watched my father die, which is a horrible traumatic experience. And her dad obviously is civil rights, you know, leader. And now she's getting into, yeah, she's going after the NYPD and, and going after those far left uh, candidates. I think it's been difficult because sometimes her messaging is it's tonight. She did very well in the first debate. And I think, you know, I can't imagine her not doing just as well, in the next debate, because it's in person, you know, she knows what might happen. You know, Eric Adams went after her because clearly he sees her as a threat. And I think she did much better than people expected because she could be previously a little confusing is in the word, but just not lawyer direct. Speaking yeah, of lawyer exactly. ease, where it's like, I need a two minute answer, not a diatribe. Yeah, I think it's as someone who has written news stories before, you could tell who couldn't write a 250 word news story. Pretty, You could tell who couldn't write a sharp lead, right? Listening to the mayoral mm-hmm. candidates, because sometimes it's like, right, get to the point. What do you, you know, in that? Uh, yeah, the, the last debate, she definitely inserted sort of a more direct critiques and analyses yeah. of herself and others. Now, Diane Morales. So, you know, some people always say, and Planning a wedding is necessary because you have to go through all these like fits and starts and, you know, you learn a lot about your partner when you're planning a wedding, right? That's what I sort of feel like the campaign phase is. Like we learn a lot about the candidate in this long drawn out process. And part of it is management style. Some of it is like, how do you manage a team when you're a candidate? Does that give us some sort of indication as to how you'll manage your team if you're elected to be mayor? And that seems to be the major critique that Diane Morales is facing with the, uh, dare I say the word, implosion of her campaign with sort of the young people. There seem to be factions. Do you think that that's a fair assessment that how one governs a campaign is some sort of indication as to how they govern once elected? 
Or do you think that they're two totally different things? I have to say in this instance, I still don't have any idea what's going on when it, <laughs> when it comes to this campaign. You know, I, I've read the statements. I parsed, you know, that there was an accusation of sexual harassment from a staffer. Other staffers complained. They felt that Diane did not act quickly enough. And then they tried to form a union. She said that she was in favor of it and then fired four people. Three are, were women of color and one was a white woman in her 20s. That is what I've gathered. I, I still don't know what happened here. Mm-hmm. You know, I know they say harm was caused and there was loving disruption. I don't know specifically what that means in this instance. <laughs> and I think that's just confusing, you know, and I think. Yeah, I can't Diane tell it's Morales, like new age language that I like missed. And I'm just like, what's happening? I can't tell if it's like entitled nonsense. I can't tell if it's real management problems. I'm I'm not. I'm still unclear. Yeah, I I thought I was with that. I have crystals. I light candles for love and chakra and stuff, but I still don't know. And I think, um, you know, Diane, in speaking to people who know Diane, they said that, you know, she was just screwed over by her campaign. But then also members of the campaign say it was just not who we thought she was. And she kind of showed herself. And I know Diane has spoken to other reporters about what happened. I think staffers, they wanted like a sharing of the assets, which I don't think you can do. It's very confusing. But yeah, I think it's a mark on her. And, you know, she didn't appear at Al Sharpton's event last week, which was, you know, to not appear with Reverend Sharpton. Not that he would endorse you or maybe even the people in there would vote for you, but it's sort of a big campaign thing to miss. And I think she was definitely the most far left candidate. I don't know if the most rabid Diane Morales fans, I mean, people had sneakers for her. She was a a star for them. I don't know if they will then vote. I, I don't know if this is like an electorate that, that, you know, some people vote because they like the candidate and then if they suddenly don't like a candidate. And I think so many other people are very, they're like purists and she was the only one for them. And now that she's not someone who they would vote for, there's no one else. You know, nobody's perfect. Uh, you know, Paperboy Prince, who's also on the ballot, had a tweet thread that actually... I thought it was the best. It really summed up just campaigning and politics in general, where it's like, we need to stop, you know, people are not perfect and we need to get behind ideas more so than people. And, and this idea that like, I don't want people's endorsements because they could be taken away at any point. Diane Morales has had a few endorsements taken away at this mm-hmm. point, but you know, some people, for me, I vote, right. Certainly there are candidates who I voted for who are not, people in other circumstances I would vote for, but you vote for who was on the ballot. And I don't know if these really rabid Diane voters will then still show up to the polls. It's a fascinating thing about being a, a progressive purity candidate. And in my view, a really thin one who didn't know all that much, who hadn't actually had those politics previously, who voted for Andrew mm-hmm. Cuomo and is a big charter school supporter, makes $400,000 a year. Uh, you know, sort sort of picking up the jargon and the language and, and identity to some extent, like really running as an Afro-Latina woman, um, that, that it's easier and sucking up a ton of money and small donations. So if Maya Wiley had her bankroll, she would be in a much stronger position. And if Morales wasn't in the race, she, she well might have. But it's easy when you have true believers on your staff, I think, and younger people, and they recognize that you're not going to win. And they're actually not there for your personality. They're there for the cause. As as Paperboy, who's done some real impressive mutual aid stuff in the course of this, yeah. and I think has emerged as like 
an appealing and in some way a significant New York character. But I, I actually think there's something healthy, although it looks a little ridiculous when your staff is coming to your office to, uh, to protest you three weeks out. Something healthy yeah. and people who are true believers and want, uh, want this entire vision, which I don't. Uh, to stand by that vision and to say, you know, we're not going to to stand with a flawed candidate who, in practice, we know is is not going to be mayor at this point. Uh, it's an interesting sort of split and one I can't imagine happening with most of the other candidates and their staffs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And again, bringing up Paperboy Prince again, like you said, they've done mutual aid and maybe even seem to have a clearer mission of what they would do and, and, a, and a more relatable backstory, right? Um, That's where the rubber hits the road, right? It, it, yeah. is you're actually getting food to people who are, are, are experiencing food scarcity. I just find that, like, serious and admirable in a way that having awesome posters and really cool sneakers, like, like to me at least, that doesn't, that doesn't do much. But clearly from a fundraising perspective, that, that, that was a very impressive move. And she... she like Scott at this point, in my view, has, until this implosion at least, taken up a really significant place in the race, not, not least because it makes it much, much harder for Maya Wiley to, uh, to, to sort of push her way into the, uh, into the top tier. It means there's this drag, there's been this drag on her left throughout. Yeah. Okay, so moving beyond Diane Morales and the campaign woes, um, which I, I think might be the Achilles heel, especially at this stage in the campaign. But who's who's to say with the polling? Last but not least, Eric Adams, Brooklyn Borough President. We know that he and Andrew Yang have set their sights on one another. Do you see him sort of maintaining the course? And I, I feel like with Yang, there are people who are either hell yes or hell no with Yang. Like he's either their one or two or nothing. And I kind of feel like that with Adams to a certain extent. People are either with him or they're like, nah, we can't, we can't have this man as mayor of New York City. Um, what sense do you get talking to voters about Eric Adams? Similar. You know, I, I, the don't rank Adams, don't rank gang hashtag. You know, I, I don't see that for any other candidate, mm-hmm. for any other candidates. So... I think that's significant. It could just be because they're front runners. Um, you know, when I speak to voters, um, there are people who just dislike that Eric was a cop. Um, people of all races and backgrounds are just like, nah, I can't put a cop in. Mm-hmm. But then I also speak to voters who say, no, he's the only person who can actually understand. And these are people who, you know, I, I've spoken to some voters who are consider themselves to be pretty liberal, but it's just like, this is someone who is a known ent- entity to them. And they think, look, he actually has the experience and the real world experience within a police department to change it and, and who understands it. I mean, but then again, I spoke to a random voter this weekend at a eating lunch and he said he, he worked in law enforcement and he was trashing Eric. Right. So there's all these, you know, mm-hmm. I've heard people who didn't like that he was like a reformer in the in the PD because they felt you know, of, of multiple races, they just think, look, you were supposed to be a cop, not a reformer. So you should have just done your job. And that's that. Mm. So it's it's complicated. But he also has so much of the institutional support, unions, um, big name elected officials, although has been pointed out by other reporters, not the congressional Brooklyn caucus, you know, that that they went with Maya. Um, and there is an energy behind his campaign now, you know, that maybe we hadn't seen the rally in the pouring rain on Memorial Day. And he keeps doing rallies and he does have a lot of that support. Um, 
So I think he continues to stay where he's at. Um, I know in the debate he went after Maya. He didn't really go after Yang too much, but now the, the gloves the gloves are off, as we say in mm-hmm. reporting. No one ever says that in real life except in newspapers. But Because um, <laughs> everyone's old-timey newspapers. Now, what yeah. I find interesting also is that Adams and Stringer are the only two who are public servants. I mean, in the yeah. In the formal sense of the fact that they are elected officials who have chosen public service. Um, in the electoral space. Everyone else is a first-time mayoral candidate or first-time candidate except for Yang who ran and and lost for the presidency. But everyone else, this is like their first time at the rodeo. Yeah, and it's been fascinating to to watch and then listen to voters because especially with Andrew Yang joining the race, he's spun his inexperience as a benefit. And it's this... (laughs) I know nothing. Vote for me. (laughs) Or, Or, you know, it's like New York City. Isn't it a dump? Maybe we should just completely start from scratch, right? And maybe that works for people. Maybe there are people who are really cynical about government and they just say, yeah, everyone in government is corrupt. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who feel that way. Of course, there's a lot of people who just think nothing works for them, whether it's the past year over COVID with schools opening, closing, opening, closing. You know, yeah, there's garbage on the street. Sometimes New York City is not very pretty. And then, But I think then I also speak to voters who don't feel as cynical about government and it's they understand that this is a city of 8.4 million people, a very large government, and it's complicated. And it's much more complicated to say New York City is messy and it's big and it's hard to deal with. And and it's much easier to just say, it stinks, doesn't it? Let me fix it. I don't have any experience, but we need someone completely new and fresh. Um, It's a Bloomberg message, right? Yeah. And they're just concerned that how can you change something if you don't understand it? Captain Garcia on the on Morning Joe said, "He, you know, you need to know where the light switch is. You get the candidates that we get, and I think for someone like Bill Bratton, he probably sees in Eric Adams like that's someone who at least gets it. And I also think, speak, you know, looking at where we were a year ago, this point last year with protests and the real beginnings of of the the more recent like summer of protest after the the murder of George Floyd." There, it has shifted, you know, and again, I speak to voters who say, look, I just want to feel safe and they don't want, they don't understand what defund means. They don't understand, you know, there's different interpretations. Some people want a completely, you know, a complete abolition and no police. Some people just say we want more money diverted into different services and all that, but people just want to feel safe. And I think I see a lot of dialogue on Twitter and I think, look, the mayor said it too. Oh, if you feel unsafe in New York City, you're just fear mongering. You know, I have ri- I started riding the subways again in May 2020. I, I walk around. I don't feel unsafe. But all it takes is me getting punched once in the face for me to suddenly not feel that way. And I think that's sort of where we're at. Mm-hmm. Whereas that could have happened at any point. But I think people really feel it more so now where it only takes one instance of not feeling safe where your perspective has completely changed. And I think everyone's trying to avoid, no one wants to be in that situation and no one is doing it to be disingenuous about New York City, but it's it's a reality for a lot of people. So so why is Maya Wiley, given that, you know, spending her limited money and ad dollars on going directly at the police unions, is she just, in effect, committed to that lane, given how she's positioned herself and where things are? Uh, or does this make political sense? How do you see that? Well, I think... There are a lot of voters who have the headspace that Mayor de Blasio has, where he sees the police and their unions as separate, which I don't know. Yeah, sure. You could be 
a sergeant in the NYPD and you disagree with Ed Mullins, but he's still your union leader and these people, you know, they're still elected by the union members and all that. But I think people kind of suspend, maybe they suspend reality to say this person is the union leader, but not representative of the entire police force, who the mayor often says they're all good people. It's just, you know, they're um, just their union leaders that are not good. Mm -hmm. But I think it's an effective strategy for the voters she's trying to go after. Um, And again, I mean, how many of them exist in the city? I'm not sure. And and I also think realistically, and this is when I feel uh, my whole existence, uh, professional existence does not matter. I don't know how much people pay attention (laughs) to you know, I talk to my own family and they're registered voters and they're going to vote and they don't know that much either. So people might not know. They might say, oh, yeah, my Wiley, Yeah, I like her. And they don't know. You know, that's why I think we're going to see with ranked choice a lot of really kind of crazy looking ballots. I think if we if people had to hold up their ballots, we would see, you know, I spoke to someone like a campaign person who said, you know, there's about 20 different types of voters in New York City and none of them really make sense because you might have someone who considers himself very, very politically left, but is pro-police or you're a homeowner. Suddenly, if you're a homeowner in a more suburban part of the city and you have a completely different point of view on noise and all this kind of stuff. So I think we might see some kooky ballots. So we'll see like an Eric Adams one, Paperboy Prince two, you know, Catherine Garcia, whatever people will put down. Now, what do you make of the accusation that de Blasio or, or allegation, I don't know, or just the statement that de Blasio is working behind the scenes for Adams. Does that really hurt him in some ways or does that help him? Because clearly de Blasio had supporters, you know, enough in 2013 and 2017 and there's still people who clearly support de Blasio, maybe just not overtly. Yeah, I mean, the spokesman for de Blasio was like, yeah, you should you should be less worried about phone calls and, um, and more worried about your vision. I, I think... That seems like Sean Donovan has gone after de Blasio as well. I mean, everyone goes out, going after Bill de Blasio, that seems to be a given. And the mayor knows Eric Adams. It had been reported previously, I believe, in Politico that he privately supported Eric Adams. Um, I don't think Eric Adams needs Bill de Blasio calling people out and saying, mm-hmm. vote for Eric Adams. You know, I don't think that's, I think Yang, Andrew Yang saying that, I don't know, again, how true it is. Maybe it's true, right? But I think Again, that's something that might not even get into the psyche of most voters because it's not going to, unless there's like an ad that shows like a visual of Bill. That would be a pretty funny ad, like Bill de Blasio calling. No um, <laughs> one's used Bill de Blasio in ads yet. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little cartoon, you know, just, uh, yeah. So I don't know. And, and when I think of who Bill de Blasio, I saw Dante de Blasio last week and I asked him who he would vote for and he just laughed in my face and walked away. Oh. But I don't know who Bill, his dad also has not said I don't know if he will. I don't know if it give. I don't know if it helps him or any candidate if he says publicly who he wants to win. Gotcha, Katie. I've got. I think our closing question here. We're going to take out the crystal ball and speculate for a minute. But we get past June twenty second. It's like July fifteenth or whatever, and we find out who the nominee is. Like thanks, ranked choice voting. At that point, we have a summer of Eric Adams running against Curtis Sliwa, followed by. Mayor Adams, surely in that instance. And then a year of Bill de Blasio running against Andrew Cuomo. Is this a dream year for you as a uh, New York veteran reporter or a nightmare or maybe a little of both? You know, I would love to be on the campaign trail with Bill de Blasio in Massapequa, Long Island. 
or, you know, uh, like Western New York. I would love that. So yeah, maybe it would be, you know, I think, look, as reporters, we don't get to choose who we cover. And I honestly can say that any one of the candidates, if any one of them win, it would be interesting to cover because it's still New York City. It's still you're coming after, you know, coming off of COVID. I think the way we cover them would be different, obviously, you know, what would be the weekly story if it was a Mayor Yang versus Mary Garcia versus Mayor Adams, who knows? But yeah, I I, I think covering a Bill de Blasio running for, for governor, actually, maybe that's what I would be, maybe just for like the sheer road tripping alone of seeing him trying to eat a garbage plate upstate and who knows. I've asked a bunch of upstate people what they think of Bill de Blasio running and they were very sweet and polite and saying basically what we would say in New York City, which is get the fuck out of here. But <laughs> but they said it in a very upstate, much nicer way. But yeah, I guess that would be, I mean, all of it's interesting. It's still New York City, whoever's the mayor. Hmm. I, I think the level of testosterone would be too much for anyone to bear. Right. Well, that's true, too. Yeah, I think after a while I might need to do like retreats or something, uh, get better into my meditation. But yeah, that, that it would still be fun no matter what. We're all going to look back on this and laugh in year three of Mayor Slewa. I'm telling you. <laughs> or cry. Oh, yeah. rather. He's an animal rights guy. I was impressed as a cat lover and a, a dog lover, too. That was nice. But I don't know if I could do 15 cats in a studio apartment. Ugh. That's my <laughs> On that note. <laughs> that's why Joe Loda left the Republican Party. <laughs> Katie, thank thank you so much for uh, joining us, and um, we will be uh, we'll be talking again. We'll see what the uh, what weird stories we all get to end up covering. Great, thank you both so much, and have fun tonight. Thanks so much, Katie. You too. Come back soon. Bye. Bye. F A Q. FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn and Manhattan. A special thank you goes to our guest this week, Katie Honan of The Wall Street Journal. Our executive producer is Alex Brooklyn and Adam Kamara mixed and edited this episode. Be safe, be well, wear a mask, and we'll see you next week. Do we still want to do wear a mask, by the way? Yeah. You should still wear a okay. mask. I mean, why the f*** not? Last I checked, we were still in the middle of a global pandemic. <laughs> what has changed? Fine, some people are vaccinated. Half the people are lying. But like, we still need to wear masks, people. I'm going to be like the people in China wearing masks long after people care about wearing masks. We just had a whole year of no flu. Like, we need to keep that going. Wash your hands, everyone. Washing hands and wearing a mask. And actually, don't roll up on me. Give me my six feet. Like, we can do this, people. Adam, so, yeah. we just got our first perfect, like, live, you know, like, kicker thing at the end in real time. <laughs> I know. It's <That's laughs> fucking fantastic.